0: Our reading this morning is taken from Colossians. Uh, It's Colossians 3, starting at verse 17, and then reading through to 4 at the end of verse 1. And it can be found on page 1184 of the Church Bibles. So starting at verse 17. And whatever you do... Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes are on you, and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from your Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thanks be to God.
1: I wonder if you've um, ever counted how long it takes when you're at a social engagement or whatever and uh, somebody asks you, or you ask them. So what is it that you do? And it is a difficult question to answer, isn't it? Because you know that your answer will will enable them to put you in a certain box. You know, if uh, Tom tells somebody he's in the army, they have a certain preconception of what that means. When I say, well, I work in the church they will have another preconception of what that means. If I say I used to be an investment banker, then that will really throw them. (laughs) Having put me in one box, suddenly, where do they go with that? It's harder for, for Liz, my wife. What does she say when somebody asks them, what do you do? You know, I look after my children, I manage the home, I do some work in the church. How do you combine those different aspects of work into one nice little title that encapsulates it all? And of course, what about when you're retired? As many of you are here this morning, do you simply say, I'm retired? Or do you say, well, I used to be a, an engineer or whatever, but now I'm retired? Or do you describe what you currently do? And uh, many of you will be very busy in your retirement, Just looking at Ron over there now. If somebody asks, Ron, what do you do? Maybe he could say, well, I, um, I do some preaching, I do a bit of work in the church, I help with the grandchildren, I do all sorts of things, I help with tools for the mission, this work is defined in the dictionary as activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a result. And so whilst we still have our mental or physical faculties, then we are all still able to work. may not be paid work. You may not be able to give a tidy description of exactly what you do. But it is still work. And if most of us are still working here then, the questions that maybe we were asking ourselves is. Am I doing the right type of work? Am I enjoying my work? Why am I doing this work? Is it a time to change the work I'm doing? Ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that motivates us to do a good day's work? Is it the financial reward? Is it the sense of fulfilment? Is it our position? Maybe the fact that we have helped somebody. Or do we find ourselves actually really difficult to, to be motivated about our work. These are some of the questions that we'll be looking at this morning. In case you uh, are a visitor here this morning, as you're the, here for the first time, we're in the middle of a sermon series going through this letter of Colossians, a, letter, a New Testament letter of Paul writing to the church in Colossae. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this verse, verse 17 in chapter 3, which if you've got your Bibles handy, you might want to turn to. It was the first verse which Caroline read out. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then Paul goes on to explain what living for the Lord Jesus looks like in practice, in our everyday lives, what it means in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities and in our churches. Last time, Jeff looked at how God can make a difference in our homes, in our relationships in the home. Today, we're looking at how God can make a difference in our workplaces, which, as we've seen, doesn't just mean the the office. It means wherever we may be active, wherever we may be working. As we look at these verses, what will hopefully strike you is the emphasis on doing everything for the Lord. It says here, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, to win their favour. But with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Carries on in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. And then there in verse 1 of chapter 4, same word but translated differently, masters. Provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master or Lord in heaven. And it's this relationship with the Lord that for Christians determines how they act in all their human relationships. And if you are someone here this morning who's not yet a Christian, then to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, to live your whole life for Him, sounds like a huge ask. You may be asking, well, surely there's something I can keep back for myself. But what do those of us who are Christians here this morning can testify when we do that is actually it is tremendously liberating. Paul's already mentioned this, this freedom that we, that we have in this letter. If just turn back a page to chapter 1, there in verse 13, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Having been freed, Paul is then keen to ensure that these Christians are not again taken captive. So if you carry on to chapter 2, verse 1, these are passages we've looked at already, just reminding you of them. Um, Chapter 2, verse 8, there it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. He's saying, enjoy the freedom that you have won, that Christ has won for you in him. The freedom to be who you were made to be. And this morning we're looking at how being in Christ can bring us both freedom and it can bring us purpose in our work. So first of all, how does working for the Lord bring us freedom? Well, it brings us freedom, first of all, from worrying about what we do. Within the Christian household in the, the first century, there would have been relationships based on the position in the family. And we've looked at those uh, the last time as well as relationships based on work, there would have been slaves and masters. And the ironic thing about this section is that having announced back in verse 11 of chapter 3, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, that Christ is all and is in all. In other words, they are all equal in Christ. Having said that, you're expecting them to say, well, masters let your slaves go free or if you want to keep them, pay them a decent wage but he doesn't he actually addresses the slaves first and he spends more time instructing them he says slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and then the, um, the Roman Empire at this time, there would have been about 60 million slaves probably half of the, the population they would have been doing all sorts of things like teaching and medical care uh, so it's not just sort of um, hard graft here we're talking about But the main point here is that Paul is making is to accept your situation because you and your human master both have a new master. You both have the same Lord Jesus Christ. And he treats you both equally. He treats you not based on your earthly position, whether you're a slave or a master, but on your response to his son, Jesus Christ. We take a look back at, um, again, verse 22 of chapter 1. We saw there how it was through Jesus Christ, through his death, that we are presented in God's sight as holy. It says, without blemish, free from accusation. Innocent, in other words. That is how God looks at us. If we have accepted Christ as our Lord, as forgiven sinners, we are innocent. What implications does that have for our work? Well, it doesn't matter what we do, it's just how we do it. And so whether we are a lawyer or a doctor or a refuse collector, God doesn't look at us any differently. It says here there is no favouritism because it is God who has given us that job to do, that work to do in the first place. It's he who made us with those particular skills. And that is a very different way of looking at people than the way society looks at people, which is according to what you do. it's easy for us to get caught in that trap, to worry about what people think of us. We want them to talk about us in a way which uh, makes us feel good about ourselves. You know, we want them to say, well, he's a bit of a a mover and shaker. Or she is a a super mum, I don't know how she does it all. And we can't get away from the way society will look at us. The question for us is, how much do we take notice of that? How much does that really matter to us? Because the freedom we experience in Jesus Christ is a freedom from that type of worry. And it's an acknowledgement that we have a Father who loves us unconditionally. You know, if you think of, if those of you who are parents, your love for your children, it doesn't depend on how well they do at school, it doesn't depend on how well they do in the sports field, what careers they end up getting. You love them because they are your children. And likewise, God loves us because we are his children, because we are special to him. When we accept Jesus as our saviour, as our Lord, we have a new identity. We look at ourselves differently. We look at the world differently. We no longer lead to give in to, to peer pressure. And that goes for work as well. We don't need to worry that we do a job that some may regard us as menial. We don't need to... Feel guilty if we are a mum who has no paid employment. We don't need to worry what people think if we're made redundant. If we retire and we lose that identity that goes with a job. Is your work deceiving you about who you are? Has your identity become wrapped up in your work? And it may be that you do have a position that carries with it a certain amount of status. Again, remind yourself that you're there because God has placed you there. He's given you those gifts. He doesn't value you because of them. Do you either feel good about yourself or bad about yourself because of what you do? And are you guilty of judging others by what they do? We are precious to Christ because of who we are. And so working for the Lord brings us freedom from worrying about what we do. It also brings us freedom, secondly, from the fear of losing a job. Paul starts off here, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I think we can all relate to that uh, instruction there, can't we? The idea of your boss's eye being on you. Um, You know the situation, the boss suddenly appears and you're busy on Facebook, suddenly you have to click out of it. Or you're on the phone to um, a mate and suddenly you pretend it's actually an important business call investment banking culture that I was in was uh, a culture where you had to stay late in the office to be seen. It wasn't about productivity. It was about people seeing you at the workplace. So it didn't matter if you were somebody who actually worked much better in the morning when people weren't there, you got in early because um, people didn't see you there. They didn't know that. And it, it is a natural human instinct in us to be people pleasers. We are worried about what people think of us. We want to impress others. We want to impress the boss particularly if it means promotion is a stake, or in this day and age, particularly if it means we are able to cling on to our, our job and not lose it. But what it says here is, work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as working for the Lord. It's of Lord Christ you are serving. I know many of you have been in a situation where you've been serving two bosses in the workplace. You know, you may have um, a, a divisional boss in the geographical boss, you know, who do you actually report to, who is senior. One may tell you to do one thing and another may tell you to do another thing. and You're caught in that conflict. As Christians, though, we will be caught in a situation where we may be working in a secular organisation. But of course, we also have an ultimate master who is God. And you need to be sure, if you're a Christian here, who are you serving first? Is it your earthly boss, your earthly master? Or is it Lord Jesus? How do we deal with these tension points when when our Christian values clash with the secular values of our organisation for which we're working? This week the case of Lillian Liddell came before the the Court of Appeal. In case you haven't heard of her, she's somebody who's been working in Islington as a registrar for the last uh, 16 years or so. Um, Of course, recently the law changed to make it possible to for civil partnerships to be registered. And she said, actually, that, that goes against my Christian beliefs. I can't actually do that part of the job you're asking me to do now. And as a result, she's facing the sack from her job. Often it may not be a, a direct conflict or a clear-cut decision you have to make, but there may be underlying tensions because of, of different values. And I think one of the best role models in Scripture for someone who was a believer working in a hostile environment was was Daniel. He was one of the Israelites who was captured and exiled to Babylon where he worked as one of the servants of the king of Babylon. And he engaged with the the culture of the the country he was working in. He learnt the language. He learnt the customs. He was hard-working. He was hard-working because he was still working for his God. But he was noticed and he showed amazing wisdom. He he showed amazing tact in dealing with foreign customs. But he knew where he had to draw the line, where his faith might be compromised. And the most well-known story, and I'm sure many of you here will know, is the story of how he ends up in the lion's den when he refuses to stop praying to his God. And throughout um, the story of Daniel, what we see is somebody who continually prayed to God. He asked God for help. He was in tune with what he knew God wanted him to do he knew when he should make a stand and he knew when he could work within a different culture and the reason why we should worry more about pleasing God than about pleasing our employer is that the worst that can happen to us in this country is that we could be fired, we could lose our job if we were in another country as a Christian we could run the risk of losing our life And many of the people we've been remembering today are those who gave their lives serving their country but also serving their God. But whether we face the sack or whether we face death, to have been freed by Jesus from eternal judgment means that whatever happens to us in this life, our eternal future is secure in him. That can't be taken away from us. As it says in verse 24, whatever you do, Work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Our inheritance is secure. When the early church was suffering persecution for their faith and many had lost all they had, the words in Hebrews 10, they they took great comfort from. It says there, you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your property, knowing that you yourselves possess something better and more lasting. In other words, your eternal future, your inheritance was secure. So if we leave the office at a sensible time, if we say we can't actually do that late meeting tonight because our child is performing maybe in a school play, if we decline that promotion that would take us away from our family at a time when they do need us, we don't need to worry about the consequences of course there will be times when we need to stay late when we need to bring home work with us but if it becomes that continual pattern then we need to ask ourselves actually who is my boss here is my work more important than my family, my friends my church, my God well so far we've looked at the freedom that Christ brings us but what about the purpose that he brings us I guess we would all say here that we want our life to have purpose and therefore we want our work that, as we said before, that activity we're involved in, which we use our effort we want that to have some sort of purpose the trouble is our work is often characterised by overtiredness by stress by strained relationships by frustration by conflicts of priority And we can try and get our life in balance. We can try and be better at managing our time. We can try and get on better with people. But the trouble is most of these problems are caused by the fact that we've sought purpose and meaning in the wrong things. We're being driven by desires like approval and ambition, by financial security, by our relationship. And all of those are focused on ourselves and our satisfaction, It's very easy for our God to become ourselves. And God's solution to that problem is to turn us from looking inward at ourselves to looking outwards and upwards to him. To glorify him as being the only one who is worthy of our worship. And it's when we are in him and we're worshipping him that we can have fullness of life. Remember what it said back in verse 9 of chapter 2. There it said, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. And so when Paul says, um, going back to chapter 3, whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, this is applying the fact that we are in Christ, that we have a new Lord, that we have fullness of life. He's applying that to the workplace. He's saying, don't leave Jesus behind when you get in the car in the morning. Don't leave Jesus behind when you leave church on a Sunday. As a Christian, all of life is worship. You can't split the, the sacred and the secular. We worship God by leaving, living God-honouring lives throughout the week in whatever situation we are in. And if you try and compartmentalise your life, you will end up being frustrated. don't know whether you know the story of Mary and Martha. If you just want to turn back to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10 verse 14. This is Martha who's complained to Jesus that she was busy doing all the work in the kitchen whilst her sister sat listening to Jesus. She says, there's page 1042, 10 verse 40. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And how does Jesus reply to her? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. That one thing, that better thing that Mary has chosen, is focusing on Jesus Christ, not on your earthly situation, not on all the unfairness that goes along with that, but recognizing that He is the one who gives us fullness in life. And so He's saying, whatever you do, whatever task, whether it's dull and monotonous or interesting and varied, whether it's menial or demanding whether it's fulfilling or unfulfilling work it with all your heart as working for the Lord whether we here are a a soldier in the front line or whether we're someone emptying the dishwasher if we know we're accepted by God and we in turn value him above all else when we enjoy him in all that we do then we will have the peace that comes with that the true peace Once we know that peace in our lives, then we want to live a life that that glorifies God. We want to make a positive impact from Him. That brings us on to our our final point. That it brings us purpose in being ambassadors for Christ in the workplace. It's not just about you know standing up for your Christian beliefs in the workplace where they clash with those of the world, but it also doesn't mean having to try and convert everybody in your office. But what it does mean is revealing the character of Christ to those who don't know him. What does that look like in practice? Well, it means when we make mistakes, as we all do, we say sorry rather than try and find excuses. There's a humility there. It means we're not lazy, but we are conscientious in whatever we're doing. It means when it comes to things like expense claims, we are above all suspicion. There is an integrity there about us. It means we're sensitive and compassionate to to those we work with. We're prepared to to help them out, even when it doesn't have any benefit to us, even when it doesn't advance our own career, but we're still prepared to sacrifice something for, for others around us. It means when we have a demanding boss or a or difficult colleagues, we when we are treated unfairly, we don't simply complain and demand our rights. But we show grace. And forgiveness means when people start gossiping about others, about other colleagues, we don't join in, but we find something positive to say. All these are things that we know as Christians that we should be doing, but often the workplace is the toughest testing ground for us. And that is why, as I conclude, we need to, to help and support each other in this. If you have already given your life to Jesus Christ then pray that he would help you to continue in him, to to live a life that glorifies him in every aspect including one of the hardest areas, the workplace. I'm not pretending it's easy. We cannot do it on our own. We need the Lord's help and we need the help of others. Now, The women are usually much better than the men at doing this sort of thing, at encouraging and supporting each other. And we men do need to catch up a bit on this. There's a couple of things that will be starting in the new year. One is a a monthly men's discipleship group, in which men will have the chance to to discuss and pray about such issues. Another one is a chance to meet up for for coffee and a bacon roll at the well, midweek before work. But if you are someone here this morning who is not yet a Christian, somebody who's searching for, for real meaning, real purpose in life. I do hope that you will find peace, that you will find the meaning in life that comes from living your life for Jesus Christ, because that's the only way that you will avoid all the frustrations, all the the human problems that come from living for yourself. I hope these words that Paul addressed to the Christians in Colossians, verse four. be relevant for all of us. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory.